I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. It's crunch time for redistricting. That's the process of redrawing maps for congressional and legislative seats, and the goal is to make sure everyone has equal representation. It happens every 10 years after the census. You've probably seen maps of gerrymandered districts in other states, crazy shapes drawn by majority legislators to ensure that their party wins as many seats as possible over the next decade. California doesn't work that way. In 2008, voters took redistricting away from the legislature and gave the power to an independent, nonpartisan commission. That means the political boundaries that will be set in stone for the next 10 years lie in the hands of just 14 people. And there's a lot to consider. 2020 census data shows that the Bay Area population grew at a faster rate than the rest of the state, with big gains in the Asian and Latino populations. The state itself, though, grew at a slow enough rate that, for the first time ever, California will lose a seat in Congress. There's a lot of big decisions to be made, and soon. The first draft of the new maps are due November 15th. Tal Copen is here to talk about some of the key dynamics going on and how California residents can help inform the process. She's the Chronicle's Washington correspondent. Tal, for those of us who aren't familiar with the redistricting process, tell us more about how it works. In California, there's a 14-member commission through selected through an application process, uh, five Democrats, five Republicans, and four no-party affiliation folks. And they are tasked with redrawing the lines as, you know, with some goals as set out by the applicable, you know, laws and state constitution and that type of thing uh, that they have to consider, uh, you know, first and foremost population. They are Uh, mandated to closely follow the requirements of the Voting Rights Act, which was the civil rights legislation that ensured access to the vote. So that means taking into account, you know, the ability of minority communities, protected communities to elect candidates of their choice and have their vote be empowered. And then, you know, other factors like geographical considerations, keeping, you know, communities together as makes sense, making sure they're not drawing like super crazy looking districts, that type of thing. And this whole process has been a little crazy this year because uh, the census was really delayed by COVID and some Mm -hmm. Trump era litigation, but they have until November 15th to submit the first draft draft of their maps because the candidate filing deadline is next February for the 2022 election. So they got to get those maps out so people can figure out where they're actually going to run if they're going to run. There's clearly a lot at stake, and redistricting is based on census data, and the latest 2020 data set shows that the Bay Area population grew faster than the rest of the state, especially with the Asian population. What does that mean for redistricting? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, it means that there's still a lot of population in this area. So it would be really bad news if, you know, the population in our area shrunk because that would also shrink uh, the area's political power, essentially. So the sort of inverse of that is true for groups that have grown. Their political power should also grow proportionate to. So, you know, one of the things we've seen is the Asian American population in the Bay Area, as it has in the state, but even more than it has in the rest of the state, has really grown, especially in the South Bay um, and parts of San Francisco. And so, you know, Right now, the redistricting commission hasn't proposed any maps yet, and they're not tipping their hand, but they have very much signaled an interest in drawing 
both a congressional district and some assembly districts uh, that could potentially be a majority of eligible voters being AAPI or of Asian American Pacific Islander descent, including they're looking in particular at the congressional district that's right now that's held by uh, Ro Khanna that's sort of anchored around Fremont in the South mm-hmm. Bay. Um, his district is already by total population majority AAPI and by voting eligible population almost 50%, if they could get them over that 50% mark, it would actually be the first congressional district in the contiguous United States that would be majority AAPI under the Voting Rights Act. So that's something they're looking at, whether it's possible. So you mentioned that this could be the first AAPI majority minority district in the United States. How significant would that be? We know that Asian Americans are a pretty influential voting group. Yeah, you know, it's a really interesting question and really apropos of the whole process, because that's sort of one of the questions the commission will ask themselves. And it's interesting. I spoke with a group that a a representative for a group that's actually focused on giving the commission feedback from the AAPI community. They're focused on ensuring, you know, the political power of Asian Americans is given its due. And they told me they're actually submitting maps where Rokana's district is not above 50%. Because when they when they brought this issue to all their, you know, constituents, to individuals, to groups for feedback, they heard that, yes, this is something people want, but not at the expense of, you know, neighborhood cohesion and rec- and appreciating political boundaries or community boundaries that exist already. And one of the reasons that they're comfortable with that is because Ro Khanna is AAPI, you know, so the the challenge for the commission is, you know, do you get to the symbolic margin, which which does have meaning for people, right? It's significant mm-hmm. to be able to say this is a majority AAPI district. You know, it signals their strength even just by crossing that threshold. But the commission might also look and say, you know what? The Voting Rights Act also tells us if you don't need to get to 50 percent, to ensure that the vote is intact and able to elect their candidate of choice, then it's not a mandate. And so the very question of, you know, does the way you draw the district to get to a majority, does that impact the political implications is actually something they're weighing. And if 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 communities are able to elect their chosen candidates without being majorities, by being pluralities, um, they may not draw it that way. Mm. These are really complex questions that the commission is ultimately going to have to sit down when they draw the lines and say, you know, do we include that neighborhood? Do we exclude that neighborhood? Those are the questions that will tell them whether or not to do it. More with Tal Copen after a quick break. We'll chat about the significance of California losing one of its 53 congressional seats next year and what it'll mean for minority representation. And a reminder about our listener survey. We want to get to know you and understand what you want from Fifth Emission. Visit sfchronicle.com slash survey and tell us what you think. And by chiming in, you'll be entered to win one of three $100 gift cards. sfchronicle.com slash survey. Ooh. 
we know that California's population didn't grow as fast as the rest of the country. Uh, so we know that the state will lose one of its 53 congressional seats next year, which we felt particularly in Southern California. So how does the Voting Rights Act factor into this in terms of ensuring minority representation in diverse areas like Los Angeles? That's Yeah, that's, that is the question. I think a lot of people, the number one question they have about redistricting is, is okay, if we're going to lose a seat, who's going to lose? And, you know, the people who do redistricting say they don't think like that. They're like, oh, it's not like we're, you know, erasing a district. But at the end of the day, it's like a game of musical chairs and they're going to put all these districts on the board and someone is going to be looking at the map and being like, hmm, where's mine? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the complicating factor, however, is that LA County, which is the part of the state that that grew the slowest. It didn't shrink necessarily, but it grew the slowest. That's the likely place that's going to have to lose some representation. Uh, that is an incredibly diverse area. There are already several congressional districts that protect the rights of the Latino community. Um, there are some, you know, sort of black voting districts. There's there are some districts that have AAPI members of Congress now. The commission, we know, is going to be very sensitive to those. And and those groups have also grown in size. So you can't reduce their, their, their representation or dilute the power of their vote. So that further mm. constrains their ability to redraw districts. And those districts may have to change, but the commission is going to be keeping a keen eye on making sure that the, the representation and voting rights are still protected, even as they redraw those. You mentioned that the redistricting commission is supposed to be nonpartisan, but there have been some partisan efforts happening that are trying to influence the process. Tal, can you tell me more about that? A little bit of backstory. After the process in 2010, there was a report that alleged the Democrats had basically, you know, pumped testimony in to their preference. So they had had people calling in pretending to be ordinary citizens, but basically regurgitating Democratic talking points to get favorable districts. And the Democratic Party denied it. This time around, it's created two sort of sides of the same coin where people are like on alert for this type of thing. And also there are people saying, well, like, let's try it ourselves. So there are a few efforts that have kind of raised eyebrows and question marks as to whether this could be veiled partisan interference. There are a few in Southern California, um, around Orange County, LA. The one closest to us is there's a push by San Joaquin County to become its own congressional district. And there are a lot of letters that say, you know, they should be self-governed and there shouldn't be influence from the East Bay because right now it's split into two congressional districts and um, this is carries down to this sort of state Senate assembly level in their maps. You know, they say we shouldn't be influenced by East Bay priorities. And there are, are folks who think, eh, that's a veiled reference to more liberal voters. Um, so, you know, if they succeeded, if San Joaquin County was its own congressional district, that could have really serious implications for um, Congressman McNerney and uh, Harder, Josh Harder in particular. His is a really important swing seat for control of Congress. He's mm-hmm. managed to hold on to it as a Democrat. It's flipped hands a few times, but um, it could potentially make his district a lot more Republican if they redraw the map the way they want to. So, 
you know, these are the types of things where, and, and complicating matters further, the chairman of the San Joaquin County Board of Supervisors has an exploratory committee and is considering whether or not to run for Congress himself. And so that has a few, and he, he, I reached out to him. He said he has, you know, excused himself from any meetings so as not to have the appearance of a conflict of interest. But that's also raising some eyebrows of whether there's a self-motivation factor here of, of a particular candidate wanting a more favorable district for themselves. So, you know, ultimately the commission says they have their eyes open to this stuff. But it's an open process. So even with partisan efforts and demographic shifts in the state, when all is said and done, do we expect California to maintain its Democratic majority in the state Senate and Assembly? Short answer, yes. (laughs) Long answer. (laughs) You know, at the state level, I mean, it's a two, it's beyond a two thirds supermajority. And the Democrats could even lose seats uh, Mm -hmm. in order to and and still maintain their majority. And and the changes that we see as potential changes, you might see a couple congressional seats get harder or easier for the incumbent to maintain, uh, but you know, this is going to be a tough midterms uh race in general, so we mm-hmm. expect to see swing seats change hands in this n- next midterm cycle. Overall, the congressional delegation will still be overwhelmingly democratic. The assembly and state senate will be overwhelmingly democratic. Uh any seats you may see change hands between the parties are not going to tip the scales. You know, I was talking to one expert in the course of this process about that 2010 debacle where Democrats, you know, were accused of underhanded tactics. And they were like, basically like, the state became more Democratic because the electorate is Democratic. At the end of the day, there are a lot of Democrats in California. They're decreasing the amounts of Republicans in California and redrawing the lines isn't going to fundamentally change that dynamic. So, Tal, what could a listener who's learning about the redistricting process and wants to do something about it and make sure their voice is heard, what can they do? It's a great question. And, you know, something I found, I I was a journalist uh, in another state the last time redistricting happened. And I worked on the digital side of the outlet. And no one was reading our stories about redistricting. And mm. I think a lot of people slept on the process in 2010 and in some places really regret it because some really partisan or impactful maps got drawn that changed the outcome. And so it's actually really important for citizens to tune in because, you know, there's not going to be another chance for the next 10 years once these maps are set in stone, but they're not set in stone yet. So, uh, you know, the commission calls itself we draw the lines, California. So we draw the lines, CA. Mm-hmm. And their website is we draw the lines, CA.org. And they make it really easy for folks to send them emails. They have a tool that people can play with to draw their own districts. Uh, they have meetings that are open that people can call in and give feedback. And they're not going to propose their drafts for still a few more weeks. So there's still a chance if people are interested in submitting their feedback now. And once they put out the drafts, there's an opportunity for public comment before they finalize the maps. So if folks are interested, you know, now is the time to make your voice heard. And like they said, like they said, you know, if a politician wants to write in with their feedback, fine. That's not going to be weighed any more heavily than any of our listeners or any of our readers uh, from anywhere in the state who are also interested in having their voice heard. So This is the time for the next 10 years. uh, If anyone has any thoughts about how the lines should be drawn, the commission is actually listening right now. 
Folks, you heard it from Tal. You can help weigh in on this very important political process. Tal, thanks so much for explaining this year's redistricting process to us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Tal Copen is the Washington correspondent for The Chronicle. You can find her story about California's redistricting process, as well as her other political reporting, at sfchronicle.com or on The Chronicle app. And we'd love your input on our Fifth Emission listener survey, sfchronicle.com slash survey. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs> 